Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce and we're just going to get right into it because there's so much going on and it is pretty ridiculous that the U.S. came out with a fantastic performance Heath Pierce 3-0 ass slapping of Mexico and on top of that there was some news that dropped right before the game that Greg Berhalter looks like he's going to be set to return as the U.S. men's national team coach we're going to get to that eventually because that is obviously massive massive news for the program moving forward but I don't want to take anything away from what I thought was a fantastic performance. And we got to give a shout out to the second interim coach of this term, PJ Callahan, who once had coffee with you, Heath Pierce, and he turned that mm. into his one game that he's ever coached, a 3-0 win that I thought was well executed. I thought the players played great. And uh, it, I think it's a mix of both. I'm kind of curious your thoughts. Did we play really well or Mexico that bad or is it a combination of both? I'm feeling more both, but I wanted to put that out there. No, I do think it's a combination of both. I think this team was really good from the start in terms of all the intangibles, right? That makes this team good. The the, the intensity, the speed, the commitment, the counter-pressing, winning the ball in good spots, establishing dominance on the field, making Mexico feel like there's not going to be any ability for them to slip in and out of. It seemed like we were first to the challenges, first to the reactions, you know, just anticipating everything way quicker than, than Mexico was going to be. I, I put out this tweet uh, early on uh, in the game that was basically – that we've been better than Mexico for a long time, right? I think the players showed up today. I think there was a lot of pressure. There was pressure on BJ Callahan. There was pressure on the players to show up in this one. Obviously, a very pro-Mexico crowd. Uh, but what I'm most interested in is going to be in how they match up against other teams. We saw that the U.S., just in the skill sets, the, 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 the capabilities that our team has now, the technical ability, the speed, the power, I think just overwhelms Mexico and what made them good before, right? We press them. We, we make them uncomfortable. There's been a few games in called the last few years where maybe we've been a little uncomfortable. But by and large, we were better than them in every spot of the field. I don't want to say we were great because I think we do have a long ways to go when we play against another type of opponent. Um, but in this particular matchup, we dominated Mexico in every aspect. And, and they, they never had a moment to even feel like they were going to come to life. What's interesting about Mexico is that they hired Diego Coca, who I value as a club coach. But at the international level, it feels a little... Uh, it just doesn't feel like the right choice. I mean, he's a play, a coach that that really relies on a back five ultimately, and and Mexico's not known to play that way. That's not their style. That's not in their DNA. And I just think that's a a poor choice as a coach. He might have had success 
at the club level and, and with Atlas and, and help them, you know, make some history after not winning Liga MAQs for a long time. But I don't know. I'd be surprised if he has a job for much longer, even though they played Guatemala earlier this week that are, you know, within the past week, 2-0, they won that one, had a 2-2 tie with, with Cameroon recently in a friendly two that'd come back in that one. You, you see elements of something, but to your point, I just want to give Mexico a little bit of a, a, a talk there. This was all U.S., and, and I, I think there's a couple elements here. One, and we talked about this before, if you really love one of your assistant coaches and he has the opportunity to be the top guy, I think the guys were up for playing for B.J. Callahan. That's one. Just because I think they wanted to, to, to have some fun and perform for him. And, and when you have that also, collective spirit, uh, by the it, way, it's really it hard the, to go against that collective spirit, you know? And, and it, I, I want you to finish your thoughts. But it was also the riskiest lineup we've put out in a while in terms of uh, attacking, attacking minded, right? We know Gio Reyna was not a player that wanted to track players and, and run around the field, play defensively, but he didn't necessarily have to because we, we had a very predictable pressing game. And so he took some risks with that. And the players seemed really up for rewarding that risk versus maybe going out with a little bit more of a conservative lineup, respecting Mexico a little bit more. Sorry. I wanted you to finish your thought. No, no, no. I think that's a valid point. I think that BJ clearly listens to the podcast because we've been clamoring yeah. for Gio Reyna in the middle oh, yeah. of the park for a long time. And also I think it, in some ways was due to Tyler Adams not being available. What were you going to do to, to fill those voids in midfield? Okay, cool. Musa and McKinney playing the double pivot. You put Gio in front. That feels like a nat natural balance. Plus, Timo Way I thought was fantastic out on the right. Christian obviously missed that big chance early on, but totally redeemed himself with two very good goals uh, in this game. And, and both of those guys were active and lively. And I think having Balogun up top, too, also provided a, um, a different type of presence up top that maybe we haven't had yes. consistently. I, I feel like there's a confidence with Balogun that maybe some of our other number nines lack. We can talk about the skill, the first touch, his layoff play, the, the way he – this is the presence he has and, and how much attention Mexico had to give him, which opened up more space for other players. We can get into that for sure. Got the intangible of just having confidence for sure. But, but there was just this, this – to your point – there was an emphasis of we're going to commit and when we go forward, we're going to run with purpose and we're going to commit numbers and we're going to take some risks in this way. And it paid off tonight. And I think it helped that Mexico sets up in a back five or even if they went with a back three and we're pushing their guys up. It's just with space that we could exploit. They were not set up very well yeah. to really counter what we do best. But fair play. We still have to go out there and execute. Yeah. And I thought we did that at the highest level. I also want to throw out there for everybody uh, that watched the game that – we have a lot of players. We've talked about how big of a summer this is going to be for a lot of our players at the club level. And let's just use Christian as an example. He hasn't had a, a moment really to, to wear the Chelsea jersey and really put a stamp on a game, right? He's getting 10 minutes here. Then he's got to wait four weeks to get another 10 minutes. It's just hard to find that consistency and rhythm. Here, I think he saw the moment. Like, Not only does he love playing against Mexico, that's very clear. But I'm going to be the captain. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to put the team on my back. And I'm going to make something happen tonight. And I thought he put himself in a good position. I thought Weston did, did as well. I thought every player, actually. We have so many players that are on the precipice of, are they going to stay with their club? Are they going to go somewhere else? And, and it was, I think, really important for a lot of our guys to show out. And, and they did that, too. I, I was really excited about yeah. how we played and performed. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with Balogun, right? Uh, we're going to judge him always based on the goals that he scores. But when you look at his play, there's just something about his speed and power and just this confidence when he's on the field in every battle that we've generally looked at our, our, our strikers and said, oh, that's a 50-50 scrap, or oh, well, it's probably a turnover ball or something. He just seemed to be a step ahead, right? Tough balls that are across his body, and he's got to find balance, balance off of somebody. 
and he just keeps the play alive and he's just got this confidence that if you don't tr- if you don't respect him as 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 a striker he will punish you uh and i think there's going to be even even better things to come but uh, again i was just really impressed like you said even the fact that they set up with a back five we still found a way he found a way to go places mm-hmm, on the field mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. the ball and get his touches right and i think our strikers sometimes are maybe a little bit too emphasized on like stay up uh, occupy the center backs he came back to get the ball and find ways to like get himself into the game and against the back five we've traditionally seen especially when you've got a couple double pivots parked in front of him it's hard to get your striker the ball and he was finding ways yeah, to, right. to to get involved and i would say on, yeah well i want to jump in there really quick because i think you're making a good point about his his impact and influence on the game because to your, when we do go up against the back five or if a team does start to sit in a low block it has been a black hole for us in the number nine spot where we haven't gotten the ball to this player in any real dangerous areas, but can they still have an influence and impact on the game, even if they're not touching the ball a lot? And I thought we saw Balogun do that, whether it's just with well-timed runs that, that maybe he didn't get the ball, but he helped create space for somebody else. We'd seen a couple times where he occupied a certain area checking back and that opened up a pocket of space for Timo Weah to run through. Now, obviously Weah has got to recognize that that situation is on. And, and I just feel like, that was the big thing. Do we start him? Not start him. It, it, it's, we're not going to start him because he doesn't have the symmetry or understanding of the players around him. But I think it was pretty clear that that was pretty neg- negligible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, within minutes that that and the third uh, runs, he was going to have an impact the on this team. The, the third mm-hmm. run mm-hmm. off of him when he checked back and would lay it off, and the and the willingness or understanding and confidence of the players around him to make that next run, right? He's left that space. Who's making that third run in? Lay it off. Who's the next one? And we got in behind Mexico a couple times. And even through the midfield, there was a couple slips that we were opportunistic on, players like actually slipping. But that third man run, I think, was really important of like up, back, and then the next one is through. And I hadn't seen that in a while. Part of that's because of Gio, who, by the way, I thought had um, just not necessarily a great performance, but a great attitude. You know, when, when things didn't go his way and I was uh, like, I, I almost don't cause it's almost like how I watch my, 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 my kids at times where you're just kind of watching to see, you know, p- kind of playground dynamics when you're watching to see how they react to certain things from a distance. Like every time something wasn't going right, I was watching Gio just to see like, what's he going to do? Is he going to throw his arms up? Whatever. There was one time that Eunice Musa right before the half missed a ball that should have played that ball into Gio and missed it. And normally Gio f- throws his arms up, right? Makes a scene. And he right, put his right, hands on his right. face and ran back in this way that was very much like, I, I, and and maybe I'm just m- looking way too much into this, but I've watched a lot of Geo, right? And it was just a really positive energy that was coming out of him. And I, I, maybe it's the position, maybe it's BJ Callahan, maybe it's just a new beginning, maybe it's the fact that this team was playing really, really well together and there was just this uh, confidence. But it, he was one that I wanted to point out as like, there's going to be all this controversy, right? If, if Greg comes mm-hmm, back and how mm-hmm, does this get mm-hmm. handled? And we know you and I both know it's hard to, it's hard. We can talk about squashing things. We can talk about moving on, but it is hard, right? To just like go like, well, yeah, let's pretend that didn't happen. All right. Before we get into kind of the end of the game with a lot of red cards and we've got to talk about Ricardo Pepe coming off the bench and being a super sub as well. And I also have to give you uh, some stick because you said the Balogun shouldn't start this game, Heath. But before we get there, no, 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 no. I That's wanna... not what I said. That's not what I said. And <laughs> he was you ready, everybody. A, he if was you have ready. a tape, if you have a tape that says, I don't want him to start. I said, I understand team dynamics, and so do you, Jimmy, where that it, it <laughs> is seen as a bit odd to just take a player who hasn't spent any time in the national team, throw them into a game like this that could throw things off, right? Granted, we didn't know Mexico were going to be horrible, um, where like the U.S. didn't have to really prove themselves. And that's why I again look to, to Canada and say that's 
Canada matches up with us in every way, and we'll get to the preview of all that and all that. But um, they match us up in every way. But that's where Balogun can be the difference on how it's it, it's it is margins with Canada in terms of all the all that we have is what they have. Maybe we're a little bit better in some ways. Maybe they have a couple X factors that we don't have. But now add Balogun, that could be the game changer. Real quick, Jimmy, though, before I deflect even more from you trying to accuse me of not wanting <laughs> Balogun in the lineup. First of all, Pepe scored. Balogun didn't. But that's not the point. The uh, uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, Jimmy, I was sitting on the couch having a couple drinks today, you know, as you do on a game day. As you do. Um, as you do. And we got, we got the comments blowing up, right? And I was like, dude, this community has been riding for us from the beginning and it is growing. And I, right when I came in here, it was popping off. We got to get a name for the crew. And so I was thinking like, we, we'll what, all right, uh, we, we're talking uh, just a couple things here. I mean, what do we, uh, we could call them, we could call them the, the trust fund, you know, we call them the trust fund. <laughs> That, that that's our little crew, the trust fund. We call them the trustees. Um, trustees, yeah, you know, yeah. Like so, that, just, that feels, just that feels kind of that feels kind of Austin trusty. I feel like if that could be a little bit confusing. So you might want to go okay. trust fund. I actually like trust fund a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. could call them the trust fund. You know, if you're in the nobody trust puts fund. the fun, nobody puts the fun in the trust fund. <laughs> yeah, trust fund. That's, you know? I just we we need this crew because I, yeah, they I need a crew. The, yeah, when I go on to to Twitter or any of the inter, interwebs, like. I, these people ride for us. Some of them don't agree, but they're a crew that is really <laughs> passionate about the national team like we are, and we are heading somewhere, hopefully special. So they need a name. They need a name. We we definitely need a name. So we have to put a poll up or something and uh, be on the lookout for that. We obviously will have to get some merch that includes uh, something that says the trust fund. Hopefully it's the trust fund. That's the one that's sticking with me at the moment. One of the things that I wanted to talk about before, again, we get into the red cards, because I've seen a lot of comments, especially uh, when I was tweeting during the game, about our lack of composure and, and the guys should know better and all that good stuff. But what I really appreciated about this particular lineup, and we didn't talk about the center backs. I don't know how you felt about Miles Robinson and Chris Richards. Not really tested tonight, but but that's a pairing that that's uh, very exciting. I think the future is very bright for those two particular players. We had a lot of players on the fields. Anthony Robinson, Serginho Dest. Weston McKinney can glide past people. Eunice Musa loves taking people one-on-one. Gio Reyna, obviously, very good in those situations and was uh, raising the roof, uh, Jay Heap style, after uh, getting a foul, after he diced a couple people up, after getting in, falling down. But we also had Pulp Christian. You have Timo. You have Bal- we had, what, what, seven, eight guys on the field that can beat you in 1v1 situations. And, and I say this, why I think this is important. We're so comfortable in those, when, when there's pressure coming at us, that we can skip past the first the first defender because that unlocks everything else, right? Space starts to open up if you can get past that first defender. And I thought we did an excellent job of that tonight. And, and to your point, maybe it was a bit risky from BJ to start this lineup in this way and, and have more of attacking prowess from, from a majority of our players. But I thought the balance was right of when to play quickly, when to take players one-on-one. And yeah, maybe the game started a little bit slow, but that's normal for, for any big match and, and obviously against Mexico as well. But once the game started to settle in, I thought we had a nice balance of that. But I don't want to just gloss over the fact that we are developing players here that are very good in 1v1 situations and how that really can unlock the other team's defenses, but also gives us more options and how, let's say, I mean, it's obviously predictable for us, but unpredictable for the other team in terms of how we want to hurt you. We can hurt with Balogun, it feels like we can hurt and with Geo in the middle too, we can hurt you down the middle if we want. Or we can take you out wide and, and create uh, numerical advantages with our, our over, overlapping outside back or if they want to underlap or whatever it is. And I think that's so important to the growth of the game and for our team in particular to have that particular skill set with so many of our players. And I wanted to know if you agreed. 
No, no, I fully agree. I think, and, and, you know, to clarify and what I believe you're saying one-on-one doesn't just mean out on the touchlines, beat somebody. Right, 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 right. It's just, it's, it's a man on your back at the, at a holding midfield spot and being able to free up space or beat that first man or change again, the dynamic of an attack by beating that first person who's meant to be marking you. Uh, and right, right. That space because that unbalances I, an entire team. Totally, uh, totally, totally. Know. I appreciate you adding that context. I do want to add too. It's also not you don't have to. It's not always about cleanly beating someone. Like you don't have to beat them one on one, but it's it's doing enough where you've created the space to pick up your head and do what you want. You can yeah. run maybe into that space, or but what you're doing is you're forcing the other defenders or defense to shift. And once that shift happens, then you've yeah. created a whole another set of situations that we could take advantage of. And we have a lot of players that are very good at that. Whereas when I played, I just, I'll be honest, I just tried to play it safe. I just tried to get it to the guys. I wasn't, not that I wasn't thinking that, but I wasn't always capable of doing that at a high level consistently. Yeah. Um, as much as I like to tell myself otherwise. But, but I would say that that is a special quality. Now, obviously, you want to have a coach that continues to harness that and a staff that continues to harness that. And as we start to develop those advanced and sophisticated tactics that we're all kind of hungry for. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I put it in the context of, of myself as, as an attacking-minded fullback most of my career. When I shifted to center back, one of the things that allowed me to continue to play center back was my willingness to take my first touch into the midfield, right? And mm-hmm, essentially mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. that meant, and I didn't understand any of it at the time, but the way it was explained to me was that as soon as you do that, right, you are taking a risk to move forward. That means the game starts. Someone's got to step to you, which means the next movement happens, the next movement, and they're trying to block that off. But if you sit back, and I I mean this coming as as a defender because that's where I spent most of my career, if you initiate that first touch or first pass, and I mean this in the 1v1 dribble, right, that ability to just break away from somebody, so now that person's beat, now somebody else has to come over, and now, again, the angles change and the game changes. You've unbalanced an opponent, right? You've created either an overload or you've created a numerical advantage or they've had to basically condense, and now you've created more space in other areas. Like those little things, went, like you said, when you named you, you talked about eight players, all capable of, of, of doing that and creating just enough time and space for us to either change the point of attack or create some sort of little advantage. And when you wear a team down, and this is what Mexico did to us for, for decades, right? It's just those little tiny overloads where they had the technique yeah, and the technical yeah, ability yeah. to you overcommit, they spin you out, and now the you're dude, unbalanced and you're chasing, right? We, we, you're like, yeah, exactly. Comes, you arrive late. Third guy comes, you I, arrive late. And that's how you get scored I, on. That, and we've, we've suffered for years for that. And we have the team that can do that now. Now, you know this. Uh, you've, we've seen the situation thousands of times where you think you have a team trapped. You feel like you've organized all the guys and then somehow, some way – some player wearing a Mexico shirt slips out of that situation. And then now all of a sudden you're scrambling to try to get everybody back and organize and how frustrating that can be. And when you start to compile those situations where they continually get out of those spots, those tough spots where you think you have them locked in and it happens over and over and over during a game, it's going to open up that space that you can then exploit, which I thought we did a pretty good job of tonight. And I think it does lend itself to us really demonstrating the gulf in quality between us and Mexico. Now, speaking of that, as the game got, a little bit out of hand from a Mexico perspective, you knew they were going to get emotional. The game's already emotional, but when you start to get your ass slapped like they did, you just start to get caught up in, <laughs> in the shithousery of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we saw. You know, we got a couple tackles. Balogun gets a tackle in the middle of the field. Weston McKinney and, and others jump in. Weston McKinney's been a target for the Mexican players for quite some time. Got a couple uh, throats to the neck, which were should have been red cards 
didn't get him. And now I don't even think he warranted a red card. I think he was in there supporting his teammate, got plenty of time for that. I saw you put out a tweet that you would go to go to battle with any of these guys. And, and I'd love to see the spirit of it. I don't I know that we're going to he's going to be missing now for the Canada game in the final. And that sucks. But I'm not that bummed because of what I thought he demonstrated there and, and what it showed about the group overall. And I think this will lead into Greg Berhalter coming back as coach. But but we'll get there, everybody. Just just hold off, okay? Relax, tap the brakes on that. But I, I, I like that there's that spirit and there's that togetherness and that there's that willing to fight. And, and that makes me pretty excited as well as, as we continue to move forward with this core group of players. Yeah, the, the last thing I would say about this game is we have beaten Mexico. I've beat Mexico. You've beat Mexico. The 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 usual rollout of it is generally maybe you give up possession, you grind it out, you outfight, you get your chances, you win those games. But this was in every way better than Mexico. And that was the most frustrated Mexico when they don't finish their chances. Cause they usually get a couple mm-hmm, mm-hmm. clear ones a yeah, game true. and it's whether or not, you know, it's a game it, it, it has always been a game of margins against Mexico. And then right. it, a, about little tiny details that make all the difference. This is one where Mexico had nothing. The entire match, they couldn't string passes together. And any time that they tried to get out of those normal areas, we 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 kind of counterpressed on them. We won the ball back. We just looked better than them in, in every way. And I think that uh, signaled to me that we are on another level uh, right now from Mexico. Again, that's different than Canada because of the styles of play. But that was the the, the first time the levels of frustration that I saw mounting for for Mexico I've seen before. But that was the first time where I could see that they knew that they were outfought, outplayed, and every single way, there was just no way to figure their way out of it, right? You go back to Nations League two years ago or, or 2021, and Mexico was like running us into the corners. We got lucky to get out of that, right? From the mo- first minute to the last minute, we had some heroics. We had, we, it, it was our day. We were going to win mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what was going to happen. We were going to win that. But if you remember, they took us to the wings and they ran us. Um, and they were, we were chasing that game for a while, just trying to hold on for dear life. They didn't get into the game at all. And by the time it got to the 70th minute and they realized there wasn't anything or 60th, whatever it was, it was done already, done and dusted. And and, and that level of frustration sank in um, so quickly that I, I'm I, I like even the, I it's the first time I'd seen Mexico even feel defeated in terms of like, what's the point? You know, we're frustrated. It's not working. We're not going to get out of this. Call it off. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. I think the one thing I would add is the Serginho Des red card. He should know better. The Weston McKinney one doesn't bother me so much, mainly for all the reasons I mentioned, but also just didn't feel like that was warranted. I thought the referee went to his pocket pretty quick without maybe Well, there's probably five or six red cards in that's there. True, that's true. That's true. It's if, very concave. If you're going to bring it out, like you should probably just go back to the monitor and just see the chaos. Yeah, yeah right, uh, right, right. For sure, yeah, I guess you couldn't make it like <laughs> 7v7 or 8v8 right now. But I would say that Serginho Dest he should know a little bit better, has plenty of experience. At that point, they're trying to bait you. You know, you're on the sideline. I don't know. Just stuff can happen. It gets a little tricky there. And and you want to pull him away from that as soon as possible. And obviously, it has to be. Two IX boys, by the way. Two IX I know, I know, I know. Yeah, so, to, like, maybe I should step in. I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess it without Weston McKinney, you could put in a Luca De La Torre now. You could try Cordoso. I mean, it's just going to force us to to try different players. So that's going to be 
you know, this is why we found ourselves tonight. We found ourselves without Tyler Adams. What are we going to do to adjust? I'm not too worried about it. And then you have Joe Scali that could potentially fill in for Serginio Dest. So, so I'm okay with that too, right? Let's just see what these guys got. And obviously a big game. And so that should be a lot of fun. But ultimately, yes, in terms of, uh, I like the fight, but obviously you want it to be within, without, without continuing to give your, not letting, let, let me say it like this, not letting your opponent get the best of you. You know, and, and I think on the Sergio yeah. Dest one, we definitely did. All right, we're going to take our first break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we obviously have some big news to talk about. I think it's Greg Berhalter coming back. And uh, yeah, we look forward to reading everybody's comments. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. We are talking about the U.S.'s big 3-0 win over Mexico. They're going to be facing Canada in the Nations League final on Sunday. And speaking of the Nations League final and the third place Playoff. You can watch that on Sunday exclusively on Paramount Plus. You can get a month long free trial with the offer code CONCACAF. That's right, CONCACAF, C O N C A C A F. Go make that happen so you don't miss out on us repeating as champions of the Nations League final. Well, that's my hope. We take on Canada. And as Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad, said a little bit earlier, they are going to be a little bit more of a tougher test because they are very like, they're like us. They're similar to us. But uh, Canada won 2 0. We can talk about them. Uh, a little bit. Uh, Alfonso Davies coming off the bench. He's on the score sheets. I love that they listed him as a forward, by the way, when they announced their roster. Atiba Hutchinson's final competition. He, I have an Atiba Hutchinson jersey. That's how long this guy's been playing because we played against mm-hmm. each other. This is his final competition before retiring. And uh, maybe we just get into a little bit of a, of a preview here. And then, of course, we'll, we'll spend the rest of the show on this huge news of Greg Berhalter. But uh, Canada, nice professional performance against Panama. Obviously, they're going to provide uh, and s- some issues for us. They won World Cup qualifying. Obviously, they've got a lot of threats up top and and very organized back behind the ball. And and I didn't see anything different uh, in this Panama game that uh, would suggest otherwise. Heath Pierce. Yeah, and Canada can come out in a back five. They can play in a back or back three. They can come out in a back four. They've obviously got Kyle Aaron, Jonathan David. Jonathan David continues to be a, a top level player. Obviously, not the same form last year as the year be- this year as the year before uh, because. Little man named Fuller and Balogun took over all the all the news in Liga, but um, it, it's it, it's it's they are a good, well-rounded team. Eustachio is good in the midfield, and so but I, I think it again. It, it's a game of margins with 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 Canada, right? You come out in the way that we did against Mexico. I like our chances. I think we beat Canada with that type of attitude and mentality. Now we've got a couple changes in the team, but Canada Canada are still at that point where they've got talent. And then they've still got the chip on their shoulder, right? And that, oh yeah, it didn't work out in the World Cup. But in CONCACAF, that's where they thrive. They still believe they are the kings of CONCACAF currently based on how they finished in World Cup qualifying, right? There is this belief in their team and they are going to come out and it's not going to be the way Mexico respected the U.S., right? The U.S. US might might press uh, Canada and they might get out of the press, right? They get out on the wings with the Tejon Buchanan. He'll run He'll run you run you down. It doesn't matter. Joe Scali, Sergio Dest, wherever... Uh, Buchanan ends up on the field, he'll 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 run at you. Robinson, you know what I mean? So I think in those ways, we saw the same thing in, in qualifying. You know, by and large, the same team that we're going to roll out is going to be the same team that played Canada in qualifying. But Canada came out with that mentality of like, we're going to make it hell for you. We're going to scrap for everything. We're going to fight for everything. We're going to be the ones that win every second ball. We're going to be everyone's that, everyone that goes a little harder into the 50-50s. We're going to make you guys have to want it more than us. And I think right. that's something that 
makes it a marginal game uh, against Canada. Very different than Mexico, I think, already down, don't really have the quality of players that they did in the past and are really struggling with an identity right now. Canada is a little bit different in the way that they're going to be amped for the U.S. And a chance, you know, 90 minutes away from, from winning a, a, a major trophy uh, for them, which is which is what they need to do outside of finishing first and qualifying, right? Because they're not going to have that this time around with 2026. Yeah, I think what I like about Canada in particular is the identity that they've created for themselves under John Herdman. I think he's done an excellent job of playing to their strengths. And and to your point, ha- having that chip on their shoulder, no matter who they're playing against, whether they're the favorites or whatever it may be, not that they're the favorites very often, even when they play against Mexico and the U.S., but they seem to have really bought into how they want to move as a group on both sides of the ball. And that's really difficult to break down. And so that first goal, I think, is going to be like it is in every game. Uh, very, very important in terms of what the adjustments are and, and what the energy is with regard to, OK, we're in this situation. What happens now? How much are we going to commit? If we have the lead, how much are we going to commit to try to make that two? Or are we just going to try to sit on that one? And, and, and that'll be interesting for, for both sides, to be honest. So I'm, I'm very excited to see this game. I, I thought we were going to see this in the semi. Obviously, Mexico tripped up and, and found themselves in a semifinal. But uh, this is a worthy final. I'm very excited yeah. to see how it all plays out on I, Sunday. And, and and I also like the depth that Canada have. I mean, they brought Alfonso Davies off the bench. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You got Jonathan Osorio who came off the bench. Uh, Junior Hoylette, who, who I value as a player, was the number 10 for Canada. He's coming off the bench. And Atiba Hutchinson, obviously, a living legend, uh, came off the bench in this one too. But So so they have you know, 13, 14 guys that are that yeah. are. Solid. I mean, solid, solid players. So do we. That's that's the thing that I like, right. right? Is that true, when true. I when I think about when I think about Pepe and Balakin, you if you watched for 30 minutes even tonight, you know that Pepe and him are two different profiles, and they're both functional uh, against almost any opponent, right? They can serve a purpose and they can do their role and they can be impactful. And I like that. I think you're going to end up going with 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 Balogun again, obviously, in, in 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 the final with Pepe as an option, as opposed to when we used to go a step deeper. It was sort of a, a a toss-up, right? Ah, could Josh Sargent do something with it? Uh, you know, uh, could could um, uh, Haji Wright do something with it? Could uh, you know whoever name whoever it was? It was like we it was like we we were already not sold on the first option. So what's the second second option? So much so that we were like, let's put Pulisic at the nine. Let's put Reina at the nine. Like let's let Weya be the false nine because we know that he can do it. And now we've got some depth in those positions. And should the game dictate a certain way where Brendan Aronson could actually be impactful for an 35 minutes versus a final 10, we've got, I think, more depth uh, and the ability to do that. Now the question for me, though, in that matchup is, do you go with a De La Torre who I, I think maybe slows the game down and plays at a speed, a step behind what our group was today in terms of reaction time, speed and transition? Well, he, true, true. Well, in fairness to Luca De La Torre, I think he just looks to it's like it's like some players will just try to play forward quickly, right? Yeah. They they look to play forward quick. I think he likes to play the one that's he's that's, a connector uh, off to the, he's a connector, but he also yeah. th- there's like he likes to add that extra step. And and, and I mean this in the in the most positive way, because I actually appreciate this as a as a as a coach and as a player myself, where he likes to play it sideways first to then see what his options are going to be. And then he gets it back because then obviously you play it sideways. The other team shifts and then he gets it and he's already surveyed the landscape. Now, how yeah. can I hurt you? He He's more methodical in his approach. So yeah, to your point, but, but Jimmy, the, game, the international game is the international game is a transition game now, right? It's all like the whole world. I get it. Game I get it. I get it. Games totally. Now, totally. Totally. You take that side pass that, that window has gone. Um, what sure. might not be before where it's, you know, a little more rhythmic and, 
get it out there and change the point of attack. Like that's I get that the point of attack's got to go. You know? But 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 maybe there's some value in having some of that contrast in our midfield. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. But I agree with you. The the game and transition ha- has changed. And I think at Celta when he where I think they utilize him really well is he puts out on the on the wing and then he comes inside right and then he helps create that numerical advantage uh, in and around the nine, but also with the other central midfielders. And I think he finds those pockets of space a little bit more than him just like being an out and out winger or he's running up and down. He, he can do a little bit of that, but I think he likes to come inside and look for those combination play. It just mm-hmm. kind of depends on how you want to set up your team. But I find it interesting to have a Luca De La Torre and a Gio Reina centrally and see what that looks like. How is Canada going to play? Can we, can we slow the game down? Will, will we need to slow the game down? Anyway, I, I just want to say that there's value in that type of player. But tonight, we didn't necessarily need that. We wanted to step on their throats. We wanted to go 100 miles per hour. And I think that we put enough of those players out there to make that happen. Gio, obviously, is a player that likes to, to slow it down, too. But he likes to get it and kind of slalom and, and think dribble first and then maybe pass second. Uh, yeah. Not all the time, of course. I don't want to put these guys in these big generalizations. But I wanted to throw that out there. So who would you start then? against Canada and everybody else drop your starting lineup in the chat right now before we get to the Greg Berhalter stuff because I know they're all chomping at the bit to hear our thoughts on Greg well maybe if 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 uh, producer Alex could throw up that lineup again that we had just so we can uh, so I could just look through that um that list of I mean would you, let's even, say like this let, let, right? let me say like this if if those two guys Dustin McKinney hadn't gotten red cards would you have rolled out the same exact starting lineup? oh yeah ab- absolutely okay I okay. think I think uh if, if you're gonna roll out that lineup uh, that attacking against against Mexico, maybe you know there there are some other options when you think about it. I don't think Scally's had the same form recently that that he's challenging for that position with Dude, Des. So I would keep Des there. Des well. Des didn't have any form. We had no form to go off of, and yeah. he was fine tonight. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah. so, I mean, look, Chris Richards, like you know, four games in the last six months, he was fantastic tonight. Made all the plays that I needed to. Uh, Miles Robinson hasn't been in great form recently. But he looked good tonight. Granted, you look at the collective efforts and everybody did enough to make the person's job next to them a little bit easier, right? And Jimmy, you know what that's like. Sometimes when you when you feel like the guy next to you is like kind of have a night, you're like, dude, I'm going to have to cover for you. I'm already going to be struggling <laughs> out on my side. Like it can be really hard, but everybody was sort of just a step ahead of the game in a way that it made it predictable and nobody had to make the big play. They just had to make the play be like fundamentally really, really sound. But I would say you roll out the, 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 so you, you, you lose, um, McKinney. McKinney. So I, I guess you kind of got to go with, uh, you, you, would you, would, I mean, if you wanted to keep going hundred miles an hour, you put Brendan Aronson there yeah. and, and just make geo slide back a little bit. It's risky. No, but. you can't, you can't do that. You, it would have to be De La Torre or, 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 uh, um, Senora. Um, or you could put Cardoso and he could sit in the six and Musa could be off the off his shoulder and be the eight. Um, yeah, I, I think I think look just looking at who we have in that option, you, you've got to go with with um, with uh, De La Torre. De La Torre, yeah. By the way, there's been this whole shift happening. If you watch what what's happened with 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 Man City and there's there's actually teams in Major League Soccer that are doing the same thing, where they are in in possession. Columbus Crew uh, was it Columbus Crew? No, not Columbus Group. I'm trying to think of who, who was doing it recently. Um, where they slide a player, a center back steps into the midfield in possession mm-hmm. and, and like become John Stones a, with Man yeah, City. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and there's a uniqueness to it. We don't have the ball playing center backs yet uh to 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 start messing with things uh like that. Uh but I was just looking at our lineup saying, Oh, how do you how can you how can you improve things without having like wholesale changes in your formation? Like, how do you actually change the way that you play throughout a game to create some sort of imbalances? But yeah, back to back to the subject, like 
I, I was really, I was really happy with Richards. Uh, you got to keep playing him. Um, I worry about two games in, in four days for guys who aren't fit, but you and I both know we've both been in situations where you're not the fittest you've ever been. You're like, fine. I can, do, fine. I can do another, I can do yeah. another 90, you know, I can pace yeah. this out and I got a team around me. Let's, let's ride for it. Would you? Okay. Would so, you so I, well, well, I don't know. It could be kind of fun to see. I don't know how much fun because because there's some defensive liability there if you put Brendan Aronson in there. But I could see for me, it's between De La Torre and, and Cardoso because that way you get to have someone that, that sits in the six a little more regularly for their club team. And then you could have Musa play off the shoulder. Wouldn't be surprised if seeing that. But given that De La Torre's had a really good second half uh, with Celta and has been playing a lot more, I wouldn't mind seeing him out there and seeing how he fits in with the group, especially against a good candidate team. They're going to make you work, right? And, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to really put it in on both sides of the ball. So so that would be, uh, yeah, one of those two. And then for the right back position, I'd probably just throw out Scally and see how he does and not overcomplicate anything. Um, he's another mm-hmm. player that can get forward and, and uh, obviously has plenty of experience playing for Munch and Gladbach. So I'd like to see him get more meaningful minutes with the U.S. What, where there's, what's the there's something loss? on the line. What's the bigger loss to you uh, against question. Canada, losing losing McKinney or or, or losing Dest? Um, well, well, if you would have asked me that before the game, I probably would have said McKinney, mm-hmm. but I thought Dest was really good tonight, and yeah. so that's the Wesson wasn't, and I love his. I mean, his I that's a tough man, one. It's a tough one just because of the fact that again, like if Mexico, I mean, if Canada cheat numbers up and they hit us on transition two three times, they can score right, like. Canada no, of course. are super I, wasteful, and if we're going to go with the attack, true. you have to use that attack to your advantage. Against Mexico, we did that, right? Not only were we winning the ball, I mean, no, no, not only were we keeping possession higher up the field, but when we lost it, that transitional moment to get it back uh, before they could settle in or create something dangerous was really good by us. But we've seen with Canada, and if you looked against Panama, they spray that ball out out to to a winger, and and if if um, if if Fons, Alfonso Davies ends up playing starting. Starts. Yeah. Like you, you've now got Buchanan and Fonz, like you can get isolated quick and they can eat you alive, you know? And so there is a little bit of a give and take of, of, of that, that maybe I would say McKinney's probably the bigger loss in this game than, than Dest. If, if you decided to go with Dest and I don't know. Who yeah. Well, go. when I think about, well, if Alfonso Davies is hundred percent and he starts this one, obviously uh, coming off the bench and scoring a goal is going to do wonders for his confidence and his belief that he could probably go 90 or at least give you more than the 38 minutes he gave in this game against Panama. Whoever is out wide, right? It's a one-on-one ultimately a lot with mm-hmm. with Alfonso Davies. So so, you know, Scali up for the task is would would Serginho have been up for the task? You know, these are these are uh, these are big questions. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, that's a that's a coin flip for me, I suppose. But uh, yeah, big and questions. Alfonso Fon- isn't in the form of his life either, right? He's coming he's coming back from not from, true, from true. his own injuries, but he's still fond. And if you watched him today, he came in and was like, "Injury? What, dude? Bam, goal." Yeah, uh, he's world class, you know. And you have. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan David is, I think, scraping that world-class conversation too. I mean, just his consistency of hitting the back of the net at a good level has been pretty important and, and impressive. And I'm very curious to see if he makes any moves during the summer as well. All right, we're going to take our second and last break of In Soccer We Trust because we've got some big things to talk about. And it starts with G and it ends with two Gs and it's going to be awesome. So don't go anywhere. All right, here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. And welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside... Hollywood heartbreak kid, Heath Pierce. Unfortunately, Charlie Davies is doing the TV stuff with CBS Sports Golasso. I'm currently in he's, Turkey right now. He's walking the tightrope. He's walking the tightrope doing TV well, stuff right now, you know? Yeah, he got, is. We're going to need his take on, on the Berhalter situation. Yeah, soon, I wanna, I, like. we, we can speak for Chuck, but but uh, we 
you know, have the benefit of, of having him on the show. So we'll let him speak for himself the next time mm-hmm. he can hop on about uh, some, some comments that he's made on the mm-hmm. TV. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that uh, he'd been kind of getting after Greg for, for many months here on the show about how we need to hire somebody else. I think most recently saying that Thierry Henry should be our coach. Jimmy, he went on and, big and CBS and told Thierry that he wants somebody with a big name like you, Thierry Henry, a guy who hasn't done anything at the, at the managerial level, is, is actually a huge name, but, but isn't a, a huge manager, said he wanted someone different, someone bigger to be more ambitious. But tonight on the show, he was saying a little bit more like, but if you look at his stats, he's the winningest coach in, uh, in U.S. soccer history. <laughs> not Greg so, look, I did not envy being in his position because that's a t- there's a world of dynamic happening around him, but uh, he, was, he, was walking the, he was walking the tightrope a little Charlie bit. Charlie Davies, uh, our very own Charlie Davies, walking it. the tightrope on uh, national television. And, By the way, uh, only for my to- dad to say how much he likes him, which is just, you know, I'm over here trying to argue. Yeah, well, I think your dad liked Johnny Bornstein a little bit better than, than you he as did. well. He if it came to winning games, you would have put Johnny in the lineup every time. You know? <laughs> if it came to, to love, maybe I would have got the end. Okay, okay. so let's just get into it. It's being reported by Paul Tenorio and Pablo Mara from, from The Athletic that it is an imminent return for Greg Berhal to return as the U.S. Men's National Team coach ahead of the 2026 World Cup. Obviously, the, the Copa America and, and everything else uh, in between before that World Cup starts. What's interesting, Heath Pierce, mm-hmm. is that uh, we spent six months looking for other people. And now I know that he didn't get fired, by the way. Just, I just want to make that, that that's out there. Greg did not get fired after the World Cup. They just did not renew his contract. And then at that time when they were not looking to renew, that's when all the Gio Reyna stuff happened and the investigation that they had to do on Greg Berhalter and his background and all this stuff that happened with his wife. So that had to probably do its due diligence and, and uh, for a whole bunch of legal reasons and for everything else. At that time, though, through the six months, they, we had an interim and in Anthony Hudson that came in and, and took over and, and took over for the Nations League games and, and for the friendly against Mexico and a couple of friendlies in the January camp and blah, blah, blah. But still a great disciple. By the way, do you think uh, Anthony Hudson would have rolled out that lineup tonight? I don't think so. I, th- I think he would have made. Well, I don't know if he would have. I think, I think he would have maybe gone a little bit. Yeah, I think he would have gone one step more conservative transitionally. Uh, yeah, for maybe. transitional moments, but you know, close yeah, to so that. Shout I mean, out to BJ Callahan. Yeah. Well, no. So what's so what's interesting is that the U.S. Soccer. I'm just trying to lay out the timeline, and you can add in or or mm-hmm. if I forgot anything. But then they hire a sporting director because Ernie Stewart left, Brian McBride gone. So so you get Matt Crocker in. Then Matt Crocker hires Oguchi Yewu to also help in this as they do this, this wide, vast search. And then they hire, what, like a sportology, some, yeah, some outside firm. consulting yeah. firm to help them also identify a candidate. And we mm-hmm. still have Greg Berhalter. <laughs> we still have Greg Berhalter. We're back to Greg Berhalter. You go through all of this, all these theatrics, and we're back to Greg Berhalter. And I also find it interesting that this news breaks what less than an hour before kickoff of the u.s mexico game like oh hey we're just gonna don't worry about us we're just gonna bury this news before one of our big games uh it's yeah. it's fine it, everything's fine here I, I have a lot of questions about the timing and and the decision making but it looks like he's gonna return now now he was supposed to be the club america coach which was in itself was gonna blow my mind in a lot of different ways apparently he turned that down the last minute maybe he was using that as leverage to get the, the to stay relevant and and in the U.S. job because they didn't want to lose him. Like, okay, fine, fine, you can have it. It makes me wonder who the candidates were that he was competing mm-hmm. against and, and why those were all eliminated so quickly because I feel like we still have plenty of summer left to make a decision. 
And, and I just have a lot of questions and I don't feel like I have a lot of answers right now, Heath Pierce. Well, I go back again, Jimmy, to to when when you when you take a data-driven approach to anything, which is what you should do with anything now, you have to go and establish a criteria that will be better than what you currently have, right? And what he did with this group and this team, by and large, who went to their first World Cups and were all new into the national team, was pretty spectacular on paper, the data, right? The data was that he was pretty much the best national team coach across everything except for away wins, right? That doesn't really matter uh, heading towards uh, the the World Cup because it's going to be a World Cup. It's not going to be an away World Cup, blah, blah, blah. He had the data. So when you go and you build the criteria, you have to go with who's available. You have to work within that, the budgets. It's not, I don't want to say it's as tight as, as maybe uh, Charlie had said, if you were watching it on there in terms of like not having, not having unlimited budget. I, I agree they don't, but I do think that they have a healthy budget to pay a national team coach. Um, but when Listen, you look we're at- hosting the tw- we're hosting the 2026 World Cup. If, if the budget isn't there yet, the budget's going to be there very soon, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, we'll take I mean, we'll take a loan out if we have to <laughs> take you know? a loan. Like out. we'll be fine. Uh, I mean, but but when you think about the names that have been in the hat, right? Thierry Henry, that's one. Patrick Vieira, uh, Steve Chirundolo. We know that um, Jesse Marsh, uh, Matarazzo. Uh, I don't know how many of these are legitimate or how many of the, those were just speculation, but they're names that kind of like you heard it seven times so far, so you sort of believe it to be uh, somewhat some truth in the conversation. And when you look at those options, you're like, there's probably when you do a SWOT analysis, there's probably they over-index in some areas and then other areas they under-index, right? And then you look at all of that and you say, which one of those is actually better that I can trust that's going to take us to the next level? Now, what I want to find out, Jimmy, is one, why they thought if those were the options, those were going to be better in the first place, but ultimately didn't believe it in the end. That's one thing. Uh, And two, if there were some bigger options that didn't seem the right fit and why those didn't work. Was it because of the right, offer? Right, was right. it because of the lack of job security? Was it because of the lack of clarity or power even, right? We saw with Jurgen what he wanted when he came in. We see with, you know, Greg Vanny or, or Bob Bradley, they're the coach and sporting director, director at their club, right? The demands and, and the writers that come with these, these coaches that want to implement things their way, there's a lot that goes into that, right? The, the way the Philadelphia Union build their academy is through a philosophy of, of their sporting director, Ernst Tanner. If you don't fit within that, they will change you, right? You don't fit within that picture. U.S. soccer has a system, like it or hate it, you still have to fit within all that. You add Matt Crocker to that, and now it's a dynamic that you, you can bend on some things, but you can't break, right? You can't let somebody come in and go carte blanche. And so I'm I, without knowing who the actual candidates actually were, it's tough to say how I, how I really feel about it, but it does feel like a lot of wasted time um, to just That's get back to where like we where 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 we were, right? And and, and, I, I, and we basically wasted money, right? I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, absolutely wasted money. Uh, but 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 and it, and it takes me back to the fact that we've been joking the last few days about how many players in the national team started talking about Greg Berhalter yes. recently, being like, oh yeah, yes. I would give him another chance, or oh I would, it's I because they I knew, mind. like I thought he did they a good knew. job, and yeah, and they knew. But where were any of these guys when things were going wrong, and they were talking about Greg Berhalter? Like there was none of that, right? Nobody wanted to speak up and speak out. That I'm sure there was a couple of players that did, a couple of players that did. But no, by Christian, and large, Christian came out. Yeah. Um, Christian had an interview what two months, three months ago, four months ago. Where he said something yeah. about how he he thought that Greg moved us forward and and he basically echoed the same sentiments that he'd said uh, yeah. just recently. And, and, but and, but yes, and there's definitely uh, 
there's been an uptick of of Greg in a positive light uh, from the players in the last week or so, which makes me think that they knew that this was coming because there'd just be no other reason as to why. I know they're being asked questions about it potentially, but it felt like uh, instead of them maybe politely or, or uh, you know, navigating those those tough questions with some yeah these guys have all been pretty good in the media at this point uh they started to answer a little bit more directly and were positive about about mm-hmm. greg so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be so yeah i have a lot of questions with regard to how it all unfolded and and now that we have a name with matt crocker i, I need to i need to get some answers right i mean it, it just you do all that, you get hired, and then you just come back to the same guy that we just had. Now, as everybody knows, I'll keep my flag in the ground. I don't think that the U.S. should, or any any national team, for that for that matter, should have a World Cup coach for more than one World Cup cycle. Having lived through it, I feel like the players just need to hear a different voice. I think it it keeps you sharp. You, you don't necessarily settle and, and, and get comfortable, right? You're always a little bit on edge, which, which can work for or against you. Sometimes some players do like that that comfort and culture that they're used to and what, obviously something that the players all talk about how they're in this together and and Greg fostered this culture and and we want to keep it going and and I think that w- that's because of yes Greg did put those those parameters in place but it's also a choice by the players to say when I come into the national team I love being around those guys and mm-hmm. so I I think that yeah it's interesting I I I'm disappointed because I this is just we we've done this a lot, and we always seem to go to that that second World Cup cycle with another coach, and that second World Cup cycle never works. The problem is we don't have a, a World Cup qualifying campaign to keep us honest um, mm-hmm. in that second World Cup qualifying cycle. Well, I mean, we okay, we get embarrassed in Copa America, then what? Yeah. Then what? I mean, exactly. Are we going to really I, fire him at that point? I, That's the I, only I, competition we have. I do think it is on U.S. Soccer now to set the standard for. The, the Copa America that says this is the biggest tournament for us in our foreseeable future. This is yes. our test. Where are we? And it's not about, and it, I, I say this about, about the, the, the U20s too. Like it, U20s wasn't necessarily about going to win the world cup, but it was about like being tested and pushing ourselves out there. We need to go into that. I'm not saying we got to win Copa America, but if the attitude is off, if the if if we're not putting in the, the the work, if the rhythm isn't there, if the players and the coach seem to be on a different page, then you're going to know something, right? And we need to know that as a checkpoint because we're not going to have those qualifiers that go, oh man, we're falling behind, we're in third place in qualifying, and we're going to squeak out and that sort of thing. Like all of that mediocrity, where it's like plus two, minus two is the only way in which we we judge ourselves. I don't think works. But if we go in and U.S. Soccer or Matt Crocker starting to set that standard that goes in the same way that a Mexico coach is under the gun every time that they play, it's we're not happy right now. Right. You go into the, you go into the, we don't win the gold cup. Okay. Without our coach going into the Copa America. Okay. We're expected to go on a deep run and challenge for this. We want to be one of the favorites for this. Right. And that's the standard that we have to set. And then it's within all that is all the little details. As you know, Jimmy, like we could play horribly and get to a semifinal in the way, in the way that uh, Portugal did in the euros, or we can play beautifully and say, okay, there's something happening here. Let's ride with this. Well, that's that's something I've been preaching for a long time, ever since I interviewed Jurgen Klinsmann a long time ago. I mean, at what point are we going to try to send a message like, oh, we're not going to play to our stereotypes, which was sitting back, countering, hitting teams on set pieces, whatever it may be. And when are we going to start going after teams? Like, I, I want to see what we did against Mexico tonight, and I want to see that 
against the Dutch or or in, in a meaningful competition. You know, I mean, friendlies are one thing. We've obviously had some great results against friendlies, especially under Jurgen Klinsmann. I, for whatever reason, he was awesome against the big teams in friendlies and, and really got our team in a good spot to make that happen. But I want to see that kind of swashbuckling style and, and us solving problems. Because obviously, when you start to play against teams that are better, let's say the Dutch, even the World Cup, they made some adjustments that we didn't counter. So, so I need to see that, right? We talk about where we finish, but you and I also want to see, and I think a lot of people that listen and, and, and appreciate the show, we also want to see us get better at these nuances and subtleties of the game where we can adjust quickly and be fluid and understand, ah, they're taking this away, plan A's out, okay, cool, let's get to plan B. That, that is so important to me when I watch these games that when you can identify what the other team's trying to take away from you, but then now you're going to try to exploit what they are giving you or the space that they're trying to give you. So these are the little areas that I want to see us get better and better at and that, and that we can continue to kind of keep our playing on the front foot, as it were. But, but also being comfortable with being on the back foot, right? Like, we're, we're so good on both sides of the ball. Like, okay, cool. We don't have the ball right now. We're playing against yeah. a – I'm going to put air quotes for people not watching – superior opponent. But mm-hmm. we're still not completely – not in control, not not in control of this game. And so yeah. so there's that element of the game that I want to see and, and how successful we can be in kind of each third of the field, whether we have the ball or, or whether we don't. Yeah, I, I, the thing I would add to that is, is again – and that's the hard part about judging a game like Mexico because our game plan worked and it was better than theirs and it was better executed in every, every right. way, shape or form. Right. We came out with a better tactic and executed that plan better than they did. Right. But very rarely does that happen in a tournament, right? It's one game to the next and maybe the game plan works this one. Maybe you get the game plan wrong. And then you have to have players that can make those adjustments to go, okay, it's going to be different. And that's why I always look to a Canada because Canada is a national team game. It's going to be fast. They're not going to give you a lot of time and space. They're going to make you, they're going to put you under pressure. They're going to make it hard for you. But ultimately, they're going to play with pride. And when you have a game like that, it makes things less predictable, right? It's not like a matter of like stomp on them, get them to push back, and now we work them down. It's going to be Canada will be happy to not let the game settle if they don't have to settle because they want to just fight mm-hmm. and scrap right and they have right. the quality once it settles to beat you or they have the quality in transition or in, in, in mistakes to punish you and those are the kinds mm-hmm. of games like you said where you got to go through a number of game plans through different phases of the game of what phase you are on the field what phase of the the, the game you're in what the score line is and be able to make those adjustments as a group as a coach and then as a as, as a group of players that's what i hope matt crocker and the staff are looking at and analyzing all the time as opposed to can Greg get us a one nil win against Canada? Can Greg get us out of the group stages by just right, like right, hard right, right. And fight? You know, like th- those aren't those aren't measurables. You know, those are those are right. those are Th- those are know. those yeah. are for me those are certainties. Like you have to have yeah. that right. That we have to move past those those what should be obvious expectations of our team. Right, the heart, the fight that that should be there, and it was on full display tonight against Mexico. But. What I'll say is that, is Greg the right guy to get us to that point? I thought he did an excellent job. It would have been a great opportunity for him to just hand it off in a, in a good place and, and let somebody else kind of build off the foundation mm-hmm. that he's laid with this particular group of players. And now we're putting our chips back on the table and saying Greg Berhalter is actually the guy, or at least U.S. Soccer saying that, Matt Crocker saying that. He is actually the guy that's going to help us elevate this core of players to take that next step. 
And maybe there'll be a trickle down effect. Maybe that'll impact our, our Olympic team. Maybe that'll impact our U20s and it'll trickle down. I don't know, right? That's uh, yet to be seen, of course. Now, with Patrick Vieira, would that be an obvious guarantee? Let's say we got Vieira in, obviously, coaching the NYCFC, coaching the Premier League, obviously, tremendous player. He got all the experience, going to demand instant respect. Was he the guy that's going to take us to that next level? I, that's still up in the air. Thierry Henry, you still don't know for sure. It didn't seem like the Jose Mourinho's, the Pep Guardiola's, the ones that were so far-fetched, yeah. were going to really come over anyway. I think those guys love the daily grind for them to just kind of give that up to come to a, a, a national team where there's going to be a lot of dead time, even in 2025. Like, do we have any meaningful games yeah. in 2025 leading up to the World Cup? I mean, we'll have some probably meaningful friendlies, but I don't know if there's any real competitions that are going to really keep us sharp. So you, these are just the things that I'm thinking yeah. about in terms of reality. And But there's just so many other fantasy. jobs, right? Like, you talk about Brazil, Argentina, Portugal, Spain, Belgium. Like, you talk about some big nations that, like, if you're Pep Guardiola, you think you're going to be like, you know what? I want, I want the challenge of the United States men's national team. Like, <laughs> for, like, like it's, and that's what I, I hope we can get to, right? If it does end up being Greg, which it seems like it's going to, uh, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll make a pod to, 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 to moan about it. We'll let all, everybody in the comments get their feelings out. And then I would love for us to get to a point where we actually talk honestly about the fact that like, we are not who we think we are yet, Right. This idea mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm. it was Greg or Pep and we chose Greg is such a stupid thought, Jimmy. Like it's just well, not, also, also, it's look, not grounded in reality. It, and again, when I when I just you, compare, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I just wanted to say, and I, this is a great point that you're bringing up. That if you offered this job, the U.S. job, ahead of a World Cup that we're hosting, to Pep or Jose Mourinho or any of those types of big names a year before that World Cup kicked off, I think maybe they jump in. But I just think there's just too much lead. Though we all agree that, and they would probably agree too, that the lead-in time to, to develop and, and instill the philosophy that they'd want, you would need those years. But I just feel like they're just so entrenched in what they're doing, and, and that's why they love to do it and they're so good at it. Um, there's no way they would be giving it up for this. So yeah, I agree with you, and I think there's a couple elements there. But uh, and yeah, man, this is crazy. I, I I just wonder. I, I just just give us more answers, and I hopefully as the, as the days go by, and I, apparently there's going to be a press conference tomorrow from U.S. Soccer. We'll get some of those answers, though I feel like it's going to be pretty boilerplate in terms of what his answers are going to be and what U.S. soccer is going to say. But, uh, you know, if we could ever get some real insight. Can we get some WhatsApp messages yeah. between Gooch and, and Matt Crocker? Someone's that would be really helpful. Someone screenshot some stuff. Because, again, when I look at just the options that have names have come out, you're talking about incremental differences, right? You got you got a lot of experience from 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 – Patrick Vieira, he didn't win anything at NYCFC. He didn't win anything at Crystal Palace, obviously, and, and understandably so. Did well with him. Didn't last super long. I like the way that he is. I like him as a manager in general. But when you look at hard data it's, it's, it, and, and, and try to unbiasedly kind of break it down and go, I know for a fact I'm willing to put everything on this guy being better than this other guy. I think it gets a little bit trickier when you look at it within, within those options. Now, like I said, if we if we find out later on that there was some – unicorn option and we just weren't willing to spend the money or there's some unicorn option that just we didn't want to give him enough power and there wasn't enough willingness mm-hmm, to compromise mm-hmm. i'm probably going to have mm-hmm. a different opinion um but until then based on all the names that have come out i'm still just like look at the, look at the numbers look at the hard facts and and yeah, and yeah. and and then tell me what risk what risk you want to you're willing to take knowing that the, the with with the upside also comes the risk of 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 complete failure uh, in in progress right um 
Did you did US soccer just go for the Christian Roldan of managers? They just went for the vibes. Is that what, <laughs> what we're <laughs> is that what we're settling on? Everybody like, eh, there were some other options out there, but we're gonna go with the choice that we're most comfortable with and who we know and and who I can't the wait till somebody love, goes. Which I think. Someone's gonna be like, yeah, but he's a Nike guy. That's why Nike made this happen. Nike, like, he's a Nike guy, and like they didn't want an Adidas or a Puma guy to get in there, and like uh, you know. I, I, did you- I also th- also need to, yeah. That's I love that conspiracy theory. I also add that I bet you some of the top players on the team got asked if they would want Greg back if he was an option, and it seems like all of them said yes because I don't think it would, he would have been considered otherwise. So. That needs to be taken into consideration. I think the player's voice does matter. I think it does make a big difference, especially for the guys that we know are going to be around and have been part of the core for for many years and definitely under Greg. So uh, if you're mad at anybody, you might have to be mad at the players. We're going to learn a little bit more as this all uh, proceeds. But we appreciate you guys for hanging out within soccer. We trust. Congratulations to the U.S. for absolutely dominating Mexico 3-0. to That was something that my soul needed. It's always fun to see. Tres Acero on behalf of producer... Alex and producer Des and Hollywood Heath Pierce and me, Jimmy Conrad, and of course, Charlie Davies. Can't wait for him to come back and give us his hot takes. We appreciate you guys for uh, listening and watching In Soccer We Trust, the trust fund. That's what we're going to call you for right now. Yes. Appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Later.